Hi, this is Crew Enos and Leroy Coons, and this is the Four Squad Podcast. Squad podcast episode number 297 tonight we're talking about 1990s arachnophobia i'm one of your co-host todd we have joe we have steve men how are you guys doing good that's uh my birthday pick so i'm excited i've been holding on to this for years because i kept waiting for um the remake to come out and i was thinking maybe we could do both but i don't know what happened to the remake it like got announced and just disappeared from collective consciousness so uh, no more waiting. Uh, Arachnophobia. It's a special movie to me because it changed my life in a weird way. And I'll talk about that during the review. It's actually like maybe affected my life more than any other movie in the way that I do things and think about things. So, yeah, uh, pretty psyched about it. I'm great. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for the response so far on our event coming up, our Hocus Pocus event. We're very excited for that. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. There's been, yeah, we, we did, we did, uh, I did an interview for our local newspaper, the Salem News, so you can check out that link. We linked it over on our Discord, so you can read it if you'd like over there. That was a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah, the, the response has been great. We're hoping we can uh, sell it out soon. So head on over to, uh, it's just a bunch of Halloween.com. If you haven't got your tickets yet, we would love to have you guys there. And yeah, I think we have an interview too. Oh, that's right. We do have an interview. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have an interview attached to the end of this episode. I discussed the new movie coming out on the day this episode is releasing called Deliver Us. So I talked to the co-directors and one of them is also a co-writer on the film. Honestly, I haven't done an interview yet at the time of recording, but I'm sure it's awesome. The movie is pretty cool. So definitely check it out once it comes out, uh, which is in theaters, digital and on demand on Friday. So. Yeah, so stick around to the end for the interview. Sweet. Sounds good. Over that website, they can buy like everything, right, Joe? Like autographs and movie tickets and all that stuff? Yes, yeah. So for it's just a bunch of Halloween.com. Yes, we're pre-selling tickets for everything. So Friday night is the party, costume party at BitBar. You can get your tickets for that. And then Saturday is the signing at the Common. We are pre-selling tickets for autographs. I will say you are going to need your QR code for autographs on Saturday. So that is very important. Um, even if you show up with cash in hand, we are still going to ask you to buy your tickets online for the autographs. It's just going to help the line move faster, not having to deal with cash and whatnot. So I would definitely recommend if you plan on coming to the common on Saturday for the autograph signing portion to buy your tickets now, because we're going to make you do it anyway when you get there on Saturday. So that will help you uh, immensely. We also Shout out to our artist, Michelle. Came up with a Hocus Pocus special design just for the event. Um, we're going to have some stickers. We're going to have some magnets. Maybe a couple of shirts and a couple sizes. We'll see on the demand on that. But uh, yeah, we'll definitely have some free swag for you. We would sell shirts if we have a few shirts available. But yeah, pretty, pretty awesome design there. You can check that out over on our social medias as well. And is the design going to be available on Public for people that buy shirts if they're yes. not going to the event? Yes, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. T uh, I, I'm going to throw it up uh, sometime. Actually, 
as of this recording, it should be up for sale. So if you can't make it out, but you're a huge fan of Hocus Pocus, the design, um, for those who haven't seen it yet, it says the Horror Squad podcast in, of course, the uh, iconic Hocus Pocus font with the spellbook in the background. And one of the O's of the Horror Squad podcast is the book's eye. It's a pretty cool, fun little design. So for you Hocus Pocus fans, definitely grab it. And T Public, awesome like that, does merch on fucking like everything. So it'll be like shirts, hoodies, flags, coffee mugs, like everything. So yeah, if you are interested in that, if you haven't seen the design, of course, join our Discord. That's the best way. But also just head over to tpublic.com and search the Horror Squad podcast and you will find our designs over on there. We also have multiple other designs too. Of course, our iconic Monster Squad logo. We have our Halloween logo we did a couple of years ago. That's really fun. And also Chuck's logo, uh, which he designed last year, which is in the realm of sleepaway camp so all really really fun design so if you want to support the podcast in any way head over to t public buy some merch we don't get much for it but it helps <laughs> nice what about you todd anything going on how's the uh the fantasy football going on for the horse squad let's see fantasy football horse squad podcast year one is going off it's pretty damn fun we're in week three right now. Joe and I actually battling as we speak. Monday Night Football tonight, Joe has like four players to go. He's down, but he's projected to almost get up to where I'm at right now. Fantasy football is insane if you're into it. Come over next year and we'll get you on the board, man. We'll, we'll get you signed up. Super chill. Nothing crazy. All you got to do is participate in the draft and you're in. As for me, went to a Reds game, the final Reds game of the home season this year. And they're giving away a bunch of shit. Didn't get a single thing because I was unlucky. But baseball games are super fun. Even if you're not a baseball uh, fan, it's always cool to go to the ballpark and get like hot dog and nachos and ice cream or whatever and just and just hang out. So that's all I've been doing. Awesome. So uh, how about we uh, spill the tea? Oh, you want the tea? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We don't serve tea. Nope. Instead, you get a cup of Joe. And now here's Joe with the news. Alrighty. Thank you so much, Chuck. And here you go, ladies and gentlemen, your cup of Joe for this week let's start off with probably the biggest news that has come out the last couple weeks and that is john carpenter is back ladies and gentlemen that is right he is behind the directing chair but before you get too too excited unfortunately it is a very small return to the directing chair as he has been announced to direct one episode of the upcoming horror anthology series for peacock titled suburban screams this particular episode of john carpenters will be premiering on the first episode which will premiere friday october 13th how fitting uh so the series is described as a genre busting unscripted isn't everything uh, described as a genre busting these days uh but the series is described as a genre busting unscripted horror anthology series the series will explore the dark secrets and unspeakable evils that sometimes lurks beneath the surface of the sun-drenched streets, manicured lawns, and friendly neighbors of suburbia. Each episode will focus on one true tale of terror told by the real people who lived through it. Their first-hand accounts are brought to life through premium cinematic scene work, blah, blah, blah. Uh, each episode will delve into a monstrous evil whatnot you get the gist so yeah i mean john carpenter finally returning to the director chair it's been 
God, what, 15 years maybe or something like that since he did his last piece here? I mean, I would love that. Uh, that it, Too bad it's not a, a full-length movie, but this is a start, and I think this could be a way for him to get back in to the direct chair for a full-length movie. So what do you guys think? Are you excited for this? But also, do you think this is potentially a start, something bigger for Mr. Carpenter to return? Yeah, not really excited about the specific work, but I think that, I mean, all we need him to do is catch the director's bug and hopefully he'll have a great time on set, get back in the groove, maybe put the music on the back burner, video games on the back burner and get back in the chair. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I like, you know, I, I just met him in Texas not too, too long ago. He's not looking the youngest you know, right now. So I'm hoping he has the bug to make Dead Space he's been talking about. I think he would be awesome and maybe a great way to kind of encapsulate his career and finish it. Uh, I'm excited for this, but Joe, did you say unscripted or did I understand that wrong? No, I think there's it's scripted. Like, okay. Anthology. I thought that's what you said yeah, yeah. in the, uh, I was like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm, I'll watch it. I don't know if it'll be any good. Uh, it's not getting like a ton of marketing. I, I just saw it basically in horror groups. So I will see what happens, but I'll watch it. Yeah, I I agree. I I don't see like a ton of like buzz r r uh, around it once people found out it was just sort of like a one-off thing for Carpenter and an anthology series. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see, you know, how this whole anthology series I guess turns out. Peacock is pretty solid. Uh, everything they've put out recently I've enjoyed, non-horror-wise anyway. I I know they haven't really delved too deep into horror yet, but uh We'll check it out for sure. October 13th, that was when Mr. Carpenter's episode will be releasing. So you'll hear our thoughts, I'm sure, when it hits uh, just in a couple weeks. All right. Are you guys ready to smile again? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Smile 2 is heading to theaters Halloween 2024. Uh, to be precise, October 18th is currently the slated date for that. Of course... The writer's strike just ended. Hopefully the actor strike will also end very soon. So let's hopefully hold that date and that it will actually happen on that date. But that is all the information we have as of now. No sort of plot details or anything have been announced. Just that Smile 2 absolutely is going to be happening. The first Smile, a massive, surprising success, took in $217 million worldwide, uh, that first movie. Something we did review on the podcast, which I believe we all surprisingly gave it uh, better scores than we anticipated. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, are you, are you excited for Smile 2 or, and for this to become the inevitable franchise that is going to happen now? And Todd is smiling from ear to ear right now, very creepily, like the characters in the movie. So let's go I, was to talk gonna, I was hoping you're going to say something because <laughs> I was committed to it, but only if you acknowledge that I was smiling. Yeah, I mean, it was. We all enjoyed it for what it was. So yeah, I'm I'm happy to see a sequel. So it can't hurt. I'll I'll watch it, but I don't want to watch the trailer this time because I think the trailer to Smile showed the best part of Smile, which really sucked when you watched the movie. So. Yeah, hopefully they don't do that again, but I'll check it out. I'm not particularly like psyched for it. Uh, it wouldn't be in my most anticipated of 2024, but still I'll check it out when it comes out next October. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I enjoyed Smile quite a lot. I think it's going to go way downhill, though, probably with the with these sequels. Uh, you know, I think they kind of caught lightning in that bottle once and 
I don't foresee it happening again, but you know, you never know. And I saw Sosie Bacon, by the way, is doing her very first convention coming up. So that's kind of cool. Hopefully she does more. All right. Next bit of news here is Tony Todd. We haven't heard much lately about this upcoming new Final Destination movie. Well, in an exciting little uh, turn of events here, it has been announced that Tony Todd has signed on to reprise his role of his, of course, famous character of the, what do you call him, mortuary taker sort of character in the Final Destination franchise. So no real other details as of now, but the production is set to take place after the strike is resolved. So it's obviously been put on the back burner for now, but of course it's exciting. Tony Todd to be back in this. Uh, so the plot is uh, supposed to be centered around first responders, but no other details about what exactly these first responders will encounter on their um, suppo- vision of death, I'm sure. But Tony Todd back in the Final Destination franchise. Are we excited for another Final Destination movie? It's has it been long enough, I guess, right? So like, I feel like it did sort of run its course, but now that we're getting a reboot, I'm hoping it'll be better um, than some of the last sequels we got. What was the last one? The the bridge? Is that the last? Yeah, one? That sounds about right. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I love Part Three. I think that's the best one. Fuck you, Ben Franklin. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's been a while because I don't remember. Let's see. We got the bridge for sure. And the roller coaster was three. And then NASCAR was four. There's a NASCAR one? Yeah. Oh, man, I don't remember <laughs> that at all. <laughs> yeah, they, they're at like a NASCAR event and like the, the cars all start crashing, like the wheels and the cars like start flying yeah, that, into the that crowd. Was the, uh, oh. my, my second date with my now wife was uh, nice. seeing, seeing that movie. She a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't know. Like, I'm not like particularly excited about it. I hope that whoever takes it decides. Okay, let's really amp up the kills and make something really unique. But I have a feeling they're just gonna take this franchise and do basically the same thing over again. Uh, the reboots haven't been great, right? Like for most cases. So I'm not anticipating this to be amazing. We'll see. What what was two's opening kill? Oh, the highway. Never mind. How can I forget that? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, file this next one under. People might have been asking for it, but are we still asking for it? As the H Collective, which is the group behind the original Brightburn, has announced that they are actively developing a sequel. So. That's all I got, really, as far as this, because obviously the strike is kind of holding things off as far as any sort of development on this. But Brightburn 2, it's been, what, five years now since the first one came out? Basically a horror sort of version of if Superman, you know, turned the other way. What do you think? Are we excited for this, or is it just too little, or is it too, like, just far gone at this point that who cares? Well, I really like the first one, but I think it's a little bit past its shelf life because we have the boys now and the boys is essentially that story where homelander's superman and same powers blah 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 and homelander's a, a bad guy so i think it's too little too late because they set up a really cool franchise at the end of um brightburn showing off like different superhero slash villains but they never went anywhere so i think they're i think they missed the mark yeah even though i think that it's too late like uh, todd said of the three movies you mentioned, you know, that are getting kind of sequels, this is the one I'd be most anticipating. 
out of the three because I think there's a lot of potential with what they can do uh, with the series. So yeah, I'm, I'd definitely be down for a Brightburn sequel. I think more so than the other stuff that we talked about. Agreed. I'm excited. I I loved Brightburn, so I I would definitely be down for a sequel. And I I don't think it's too too late to you know reinvigorate that franchise. And I think they have a lot more they could probably do with it that could be really cool all right just a couple more pieces of news tonight for you halloween fans october 17th for you collectors as well they are releasing halloween 2018 through 2022 the official making of films book release uh this is going to be a massive uh companion book of behind the scenes photography interviews with cast and crew and it promises to cover the making of the trilogy trilogy in fascinating detail for those who actually cared about that specific trilogy of david gordon greens but it seems to be a pretty damn cool little uh book for you big time halloween fans and makers out there so you can pick it up in stores october 17th Also, for you Halloween fans, the official novelization of the original Halloween has been brought back to life as it has been is going back into print for the first time in over 40 years. For those of you who are book collectors, that first Halloween book is a pretty, pretty penny. So for those that are wanting to finally add that piece of the original to it and just read it right just being able to kind of see what that original sort of idea was you can head over to printed in blood just search that on google and you can get a copy of the reprint of the original halloween novel of course with spooky season comes spooky movies and you can head to the theater now to see some of these spooky movies. I know Todd recently did They Live and Christine, and you got House of a Thousand Corpses coming up, right? Yes, and The Exorcist. And The Exorcist, very exciting. Well, A24 has announced that they have teamed up with AMC for this October, calling it Thrills and Chills Film Series. So you can go to uh, your local amc of course check the website to make sure your theater is actually participating but on october 4th they will be screening robert eggers classic the witch on october 11th they will be screaming x october 18th under the skin and on october 25th they will be screaming midsummer so for you big a24 fans you can check out a24 all october long in theaters And the last bit of news here I have for you guys is a little fun one. Head to your local GNC and get slashed up because they have announced, they have released the official energy drink of Friday the 13th. That is right. Officially licensed, ladies and gentlemen. The drink is called Hack and Slash and Friday the 13th coming up. Buy a case, drink as many as you can while watching the, your Friday the 13th marathon. But yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a fun little can as well. It's got Jason Voorhees mask on it and whatnot with some blood on the can. So for you energy drink drinkers out there, head over to GNC, get your officially licensed Friday 13th energy drink. And that's it. Instead of ending with a cup of Joe, we end with a cup of energy, Friday 13th energy drink this week. Thank you. And that is it for our news. I am looking at that Halloween book as we speak, and it looks pretty freaking cool. The, the reprint. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's the price on it? Can do you see? 
Yeah, so you can get one that has limited to 250 sign box set prints, original art for steep 300 price tag, or you can get a regular hardcover for for, for 50. So, and okay. it's illustrated too throughout, which is kind of cool. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. I mean, if you like, I said you can't find one on eBay for I think under like 300 or bucks or oh, 400 pricey, bucks. Yeah. So yeah, because Sam, I got Sam. She has Halloween two, Halloween three, and she has a bunch of the other novelizations. But high, Halloween one is like impossible, <laughs> you know, unless you want to spend a pretty penny. Even two and three now cool. have gone way up. Yeah, I think I will. I'm gonna grab it. You also have a Halloween art book too, if you're into that. Cool. Sweet. Well watched. Ooh, I'll lead off. All right, so I did two of the Fathom events. Both John Carpenter films. I'll start with one, and it was the first one I watched was They Live, which I mean, Keith David, Roddy Piper is so freaking good, man. If you haven't seen the movie before, basically this uh, homeless guy, he's a construction worker going through L.A. Roddy Piper, and he meets this crew that's like kind of like pushing back against the government, and we're like, you know, what are they actually actually fighting against? Whatever, and he finds this pair of glasses. That allows him to see the world for what it is, that everything is a subliminal message. He looks at the uh, a bank and it says, you know, purchase stuff. Or he looks at, you know, an advertisement with a girl in a bikini. It says, have sex and reproduce. And looks at another one. It says, obey authority, things like that. And he's freaking out. And then it gets worse because he sees some people that look like hideous aliens, right? So it all comes together where aliens live among humans. Humans work for the aliens and the aliens reward them with like, you know, being a powerful person things like that as long as to keep humanity in check there's this sub organization of humans trying to get like a broadcast out to the people because we're controlled through television broadcasts and they interrupt the the normally scheduled programming with like a dude talking about like you're being controlled blah 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 and it's just it's a really cool movie man it's it's a time a time piece of that that era um, it's got one of the best fist fights in all of movie history that happen, uh, goes on and on. I, I forget what the screen time was, but well over five minutes of just fighting and no breaks in it. Performances are awesome. The ending is really dope. I really like how our hero goes out. Normally in a film where there's a, a set hero, he's going to be you know saving the day and riding off with the woman on a, on a on horseback into the sunlight, right? And that's not what happens in this film. And then, all, and then the very ending too is just so funny. It ends on a comedy note where this girl's having sex with this guy. She looks down, and he, she can now see him for what he is as an alien. It's, it's pretty hilarious. So they live, four out of five. Love it. Yeah, I I love that movie. Roddy Piper is so like, I I I love Roddy Piper. I think he he should have been a bigger like movie star. You know, I think he focused maybe too much on wrestling, and uh, you know he he did some really fun performances this being the highlight of his career but i also recommend uh, hell comes to frog town <laughs> people like roddy piper it's a very fucking wild movie that uh, people should definitely check out so my first one this week is a 2023 film it's the one that we have the interview for in this episode that comes out on friday and it's called deliver us so this is a story of a young nun at a convent and she's, you know, taking her her vows to stay celibate, and she's just living with other nuns, and they're kind of just going through their nun things, whatever they do in a convent, I'm not sure, they're praying and, you know, whatever they do. And all of a sudden, she falls pregnant, and they find out that she's having twins. Well, it turns out, through information that the Vatican believes, is that she is going to give birth to both the reincarnation of Jesus 
but also the Antichrist at the same time. And so they, the Vatican sends a young priest who is also thinking of leaving the church because he met a woman that he got pregnant and he's about to kind of like be like, I can't do this anymore. But he wants to do this final case. So he goes to this place and there's this kind of sect of the church trying to kill the nun and the babies because they don't want to essentially start, you know, the uh, the apocalypse by having the Antichrist being born. And that's kind of what the story is, is the young priest and the uh, the nun trying to get away from this sect as they chase him down from place to place. And uh, whether or not the baby is born, you'll have to watch it and see what happens. So I, you know, I've talked about it often. I love religious horror. We talked about it last week when we did The Nun. And uh, this one is a solid film. You know, it's it's got great imagery. It's got really cool like cinematography and the setting is really well done and the lighting and all that stuff. I really enjoyed that. I think the story is pretty interesting, but it's told a little bit in a confusing way. I think they could have cleaned it up a little bit and made clear storyline. Like at, at times you're not really sure what's going on. And I wasn't the biggest fan of the, the last act, I guess you could say. Even though there was some cool stuff in the last act, I thought they could have done something maybe a little bit better. We do get a little bit of, I feel like I've seen this before, you know, like um, End of Days and other movies that have touched with the apocalypse and the church trying to chase people down and they're not sure why they're being chased down, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's not like a unique story, but I would still recommend people check it out. I think it's at least worth a, a watch. So that is Deliver Us, which you can find on in theaters, VOD, and on demand as of Friday. Sounds pretty cool. Okay, my next theater watch was 1983's Christine, uh, also by John Carpenter. And honestly, man, I teeter between this and Halloween being my favorite Carpenter flick and technically best made film, too. Right now, it's currently after Halloween, but I can flip-flop on this one because I love Christine, man. It's a story about a evil car, essentially, that a young man, this nerdy, ultra-nerdy kid, gets um, controlled by his parents. He's not allowed to do have any freedoms. He gets picked on at school. But he also has his best friend who you wouldn't think normally would be his best friend. He's the star running back, star wide receiver on the, on the football team, really handsome guy, great with women, which is complete opposite of Arnie. So it's really nice to see that relationship, and I think that's my favorite thing about this film is a realistic uh, best friend relationship and how it escalates from uh, Dennis, the football player, taking care of Arnie to Arnie, like shedding Dennis and becoming like this cool kid that doesn't give a fuck, disrespects his parents, got a girlfriend. All he cares about is Christine in the car and he takes his revenge on bullies. And for better or worse, Christine helps him do that. And we follow these guys as they're trying to figure out why the fuck Arnie's just going crazy dressing differently being disrespectful who's killing these people how is christine evil and we just go along with them see how their life uh, turns out christine i love it 1983 great year for horror four and a half out of five nice and my last one this week is one that uh, both todd and i can talk about because we both watched it this week and that is 2023's cobweb so this is a story of an eight-year-old boy he lives in kind of a old house with a pumpkin patch in the backyard and he's having nightmares and he's having trouble at school. He's kind of a lonely kid and he's got two parents who are very controlling 
And all of a sudden, he starts hearing tapping and talking from his wall. So he's not sure if it's a hallucination or it's something that's really happening. But as it's happening over the span of a few nights, he starts realizing that, okay, this might actually be a person or at least an entity behind the wall that's talking to me and telling me to do different things. And while he's going through that process at school, he's being bullied by someone and he can hear that, we'll call it the entity, the entity's voice telling him to retaliate. And he ends up pushing a bully down the stairs and breaking his leg, which gets him expelled from school. Meanwhile, his substitute teacher starts getting worried because she thinks that he might be being abused at home. And his parents are acting super weird, so it kind of checks out that maybe he's being abused at home. There's a lot of kind of story threads getting into it, but the movie is more or less about figuring out what the entity is, what his parents are actually up to, and then getting into a crazy third act, which I won't spoil. This stars Liz Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr, who most people would know as Homelander in uh, in The Boys. In fact, maybe one of my critiques is that I can't separate Anthony Starr from Homelander right now. Now, this movie doesn't help that fact in, in some ways, and I won't spoil why, but it's very difficult for me to see this actor and not think of the creep he is in The Boys. But overall, I, I really dug this film. There's just... It's, I was so invested in knowing what the hell happens in this story the whole time through. I was so curious. Okay, what's behind the wall? What's in the pumpkin patch? What are the parents up to? What's going to happen to the teacher? Like, there are so many threads, and I was so interested in finding out what would happen in each of these threads. And I've been kind of warned by uh, Todd that there's a scene in particular in this that is absolutely terrifying. Holy fuck, was he right? Uh, there's a scene in this fucking movie that I was just like, wow, this is... This is so well done. I kind of wish that they kind of stayed that course for the whole film and kept a lot of it more in the shadows because uh, I also talked to Joe about it. You know, we kind of had a kind of three-way on this one. And uh, I feel that although I enjoyed the last act because it's fucking relentless and there's some great kills, I think seeing less was better because when we actually see the entity in its full form, I was like, okay, it's a little too goofy for me, but I won't spoil what exactly it is. So for me, this is a four out of five. I, I really enjoyed this one. In fact, it's in my uh, it's in my top 10 right now. It's, uh, it's a good one. People should check it out. And that was on VOD. Looks like I win, Joseph. Looks like I went. Just kidding. It's not that I disliked it. I just thought, I, honestly, it was so close to making my top 10, but I feel like the third act just killed it a little bit for me personally. But I still, I agree. I still think people should check it out. I, I really enjoyed it, especially this time of the year. It's the perfect, like, sort of spooky season type movie. Yeah, no, I 100% mirror what Steve says. Yeah, you know, he's Homelander, and unfortunately, he's not going to be anything but Homelander because his performance is so amazing as that character. I can't see him as a semi-loving, oh, wait, no, he's not, father. But yeah, dude, I, I really liked all the creepy stuff. Like, now, have we seen a lot of this plot lately? Absolutely. Like uh, entity or a voice in the wall. But it, it's effective here. And I thought the kids' performance was a little uneven at times. But man, that sequence with his parents is fucking really good. And then I really liked the, the final act too. And it reminded me a lot of Malignant with uh, some, sort of the things she was doing. And honestly, I don't know what this villain is she's a human right but she's deformed and she's got long hair and she's creepy so i don't know i was in i liked it a lot and i recommend it so 
I think I have it at three and a half on Letterboxd right now. I might bump it up to a four now that I talk to you about it. But um, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I can I, see why Joe got derailed a little bit, though. I can totally see that if you're not maybe in the right mindset or just not feeling it. But yeah, I think what this movie did best for me is hooking me in and getting me so invested into knowing what happens next, um, which is great for a movie like that. It wasn't like a slow burn. You know, it was really kind of peeling its layers, you know, scene by scene. And I really enjoyed that so it's just too bad i thought the end was a little too far into the kind of goofiness like joe said but still a great film and i'm sure well i'm not sure it might not finish on my top 10 but there's a good chance it'll be there and i loved her her rant at the end like every fucking yeah, yeah. Creek you here my like, holy shit oh, yeah, yeah. and i got one todd gripe with this it's oh. there's no way a substitute teacher is coming to a kid's house not <laughs> once not three times my wife's a teacher in a small town and they have to do house calls, but substitute doesn't go fuck. She's there for like two days tops and she's gone. Yeah, for sure. All right, trivia? Yep, trivia it is. All right, so quarter number three, I, Todd, am in the lead with 20. Uh, Joe in second place, 13. Steve, third with 12, which is his last, yep, uh, last one of the quarter. Yep. Safe to say I won. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go through, the, we'll go through <laughs> the motions. Who would like to lead off? I'll go. All right. So I totally forgot about trivia this week because I was prepping for the interviews that we have this week. So I'm I went back to the Kayla well. So thank you very much, <laughs> Kayla, for sending so much trivia like a year ago. So I can go back to it when I need to. So the first one is match the plot to the movie. A college student create a drug called Zed and sells it on campus. In adversity. Nope. Fuck me, dude. Inadvertently resurrecting the living dead who wreak havoc at a Halloween rave. Why did I say that so early? <laughs> Joe, go ahead and guess incorrectly. I, I mean, it sounds familiar, but I I feel like maybe this is something I haven't seen. I don't. Zed really doesn't isn't really jumping out at me. I think you've seen it. Pretty sure. Is it know. a Return of Living Dead part yeah. two? <laughs> no, it's not part two. It is. Night Part of the Demons, three. the remake. Wrong. No. Oh, dang it. I don't know that. No. So uh, you're really close, Joe. <laughs> you're actually no. in the right in the Part right three. franchise. It's mm. Re- Return of Link. Oh, maybe it is Part Two. What's the sequ- What's the number? What's the name of the Part Two? Anyway, just, so this, this one's called know. Return of Living Dead: Rave to the Grave. That's four. That's four. It's, it's four, on four the, or five. That was Necropolis, or yeah, maybe it's anyway. It's not two. I don't think. So. That's not all right. Darn it. That's fine. All right. All right. I also didn't have my <laughs> trivia tonight because I've it's been a busy, busy times. Um, but shout out to AI, because I asked <laughs> AI online and they came up with our trivia for this week for two for two out of the three. So we have a tagline 2022 movie. Okay. Once you see it, it's too late. Smile. Correct. Nice. Did you ask like Alexa or did you go on chat, whatever? Chat, uh, chat GBT. Yes. Nice. <laughs> All right. I'm going to do some quotes for you guys. And I'm going to start off with this one. We have to guess the movie. Correct. You have to guess the film. Yeah. Here's to swimming with bow legged women. I know this. Here's uh, to swimming with bow legged women. 
It's not Jaws, is it? It is Jaws. Right, yeah. but, since, but since I thought, you said I it's not Jaws, be... you get the point. <laughs> Jaws. <laughs> I thought it was Jaws 3, but not Jaws nope, 1. Jaws 1. Really? Quint. Yeah. Nice. All right, next one. Still from Kayla. According to Captain Spaulding, who is the greatest American who ever lived? Elvis Presley. Wrong. Fuck me, dude. No, that was um the cop played by William Forsythe. Oh, you're right. He was the big right. Elvis fan. Oh, I got um, it. John Wayne. Fuck Correct. you. Yes. Yeah, it's Dang John it. Wayne. He's got the tattoo and everything. <laughs> back to me? Mm-hmm. All right. Back to AI. All right. What is the name of the mental hospital in the event in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? Collinwood? Uh, incorrect. Springwood is the name of the town. Yeah. Um, Springwood Sanitarium. Incorrect. I, I like, I if, if there's a wall, so, next to, a small wall like, next to me, and I I have yeah. a sign of that fucking thing ah, okay. on the other side of it. <laughs> but I won't cheat. I won't get it. No, get out. So if it's in your, if it's in your, <laughs> it's like on the complete That's other cheating. side of the room. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, correct answer is Weston Hills Sanitarium. Interesting. All right, I got a long one here. You go ahead and just interrupt if you know who, what movie it's from. Why, you ask? Why is not the question. How? Now that is a question worth examining. How could I, being born of such uh, conventional stock, arrive a leader of the rebellion? An escapist from a conformist world destined to find happiness only in that which cannot be explained? I brought you here for a reason. Incorrect. Hmm. I brought you here for a reason. But unfortunately, you and your sentimental minds are doing me no good. My brain is frozen, locked. I had to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick encrustations drying on the surface. Alien? Oh. Incorrect. Like another guess. Saw? Incorrect. I'll go. Um, Sounds really familiar. Starship Troopers. I don't know. <laughs> now, the <laughs> movie is House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Otis. Otis. Otis, Otis. Yeah. His rant. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Nice. All right, last one. Match the quote to the movie. Never look back. The past is a wilderness of horror. Wow. Deep. Hmm. I have no idea, though. (laughs) Any ideas, Todd? Never look back. The past is a wilderness of horror. Horror. Yeah. Uh, No idea. It's a remake, if that helps. Remake? Yeah. No clue. I'll even tell you, it's a 2010 remake. No. Of a considerably old, older film. Um, House of Wax. Wrong. Oh. Give up, Jeff. Um. Yeah, I get nothing. It was The Wolfman, 2010. Uh, okay. Okay. Makes sense. All right, last one. Guess the movie based on the details I give you. Okay. This movie is from 2002. Directed by Elori Elkayam, starring Carrie Werner, Doug E. Doug, and Scarlett Johansson. Hmm. Doug E. Doug, man, I haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scarlett Johansson and Doug E. Doug. I will say the genre is horror comedy. 
Is it Ghost City? Incorrect. Darn it. I'm also leaving out one very big actor that would give it away. <laughs> uh, I will say, think about the theme with tonight's movie. Oh, eight-legged freaks. Correct. <laughs> I Scarlett Johansson is in that movie. I like, totally I forgot. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, that's that's a shocker. All right. All right. Name the movie. Truck's not going to make it to Fort Pastor. No, forget the truck. That place is fucked, man. Oh, Blood that's uh, Dawn of the Dead remake. Correct. Good job. <laughs> Are the people there dead? Well, dead-ish. <laughs> That is. That's a great fucking line. Yeah, it is. All right, Joe and Steve, two apiece, myself, one, which brings us to the quarter, number three, ending with me in the lead, 21. Joe, 15, second place. Steve, 14. Now we go on to the fourth and final quarter of the year. I will input these numbers into the, the AI-provided form, and I will give you an update a little bit later. Awesome. So you'll have a punishment for us next week, I guess? I will. I will go to the the gutter and the cellar, <laughs> the basement and the dank bathroom of Tubi right. to find the best. To find the best. I, no, you know what? What was I'm the a- last one? Oh, the Ron Jeremy. The Ron that Jeremy. Was like, oh, <laughs> oh, my God. What was that called? Zombie City or something? Uh, Zombie Night? Something it was, stupid. A ter- it was it's a been really from existence. basic movie. <laughs> Let me pull right. my letterbox. <laughs> sure. Night right. of the Dead. Night of the so, Remember that Night wall the that they're dead. obsessed with? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I, I was... And everyone in that movie climbed it except Ron Jeremy. I was so bummed out. That <laughs> it was they in his try- contract. Yeah, they tried to force Ron Jeremy <laughs> to fucking go over the wall and then fall like an asshole. That would be hilarious. Know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> May he rot in hell. He's not dead. Yet. Okay. Arachnophobia. 1990, directed by Mr. Frank Marshall. Eight legs, two fangs, and an attitude. A large spider from the jungles of South America is accidentally transported in a crate with a dead body to America, where it mates with the local spider. Soon after, the residents of a small California town disappear as a result of spider bites. They don't disappear from the result of spider bites. Why do they put that in there? From the deadly spider offspring. It's up to a couple of doctors with the help of an insect exterminator to annihilate these eight-legged freaks. This one is a rewatch, man. I watch this one every, I don't know, six, seven years, something like that. And I remember loving it as a kid. And every time I watch it, it gets a little bit lower. I did rank it higher than my last viewing. Uh, but overall, I think it's a fun film. I like trying to spot like the little microfilament that they're using to control the spiders. Um, I think the, the characters are well acted. And I think the atmosphere is good. Although I wish it committed to either being trying to be creepy or trying to be funny. So I think it's a little bit of a mix that I don't like necessarily, but overall I think it's still a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Arachnophobia, man, it's been quite a long time since I've seen this one, probably early like teens, maybe I, I just always remembered uh, John Goodman's character, but other than that, I don't remember anything else about this movie whatsoever. So I was excited to give it a, a rewatch, a fresh, fresh one, and I had a lot of fun with it. You know, it definitely has. It's sort of like a definitely a time capsule of that time, like of the early '90s. But man, there's there's a lot to love here. Just the small town feel. Uh, you know, Jeff Daniels' character is great. John Goodman, of course, is awesome. Although I do, 
thought John Goodman had a bigger role than what I originally remembered. So I wish he did kind of go even more into his character in this and like went even crazier, but he's still a fun time regardless. The spiders, I think they did a good job of keeping the tension despite it being kind of the same thing over and over again. But I, I do think they did enough different to make it fun and interesting with uh, sort of the ways the spiders appeared and whatnot. And to me, I think the puppetry was pretty good. Like most of the spiders were were, were uh, pretty believable uh, in their roles. And man, the, the end part where all the spiders come through the house, whew, makes your skin crawl for sure. So yeah, overall, I, I think it was, I had a really fun time watching it. Yeah, so I picked this movie because I remember watching it as a kid and it fundamentally fucking scared the shit out of me. I, I was terrified of spiders for such a long time after seeing this movie. Now, I'm not as terrified of spiders as I used to be, you know, uh, but holy shit, did that alter my way of thinking and doing things in my life. Uh, to this day, I will not eat pretty much anything that's been left out for more than a few minutes without me supervising it because I am too afraid that a spider got into it. Uh, popcorn, cereal box, you name it, I will throw out the whole fucking cereal box if someone left it open, like, for a few hours. It's yeah, and, first world problems right there. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I would rather lose the money than risk eating a spider. You know, it's just one of those things. It, it it's, it's funny because it's really stemming from this movie. Now, for the movie itself, I, like Todd, watch it every few years i have it on dvd i should probably upgrade to blu-ray actually and it's just i i love this movie in a weird way because i think it, it is so effective at making the spider scary whether it was like through shadows or like just with the light or making it bigger than it actually is they just shot it in such a creepy menacing way and like joe said i mean in the end it's just spiders right it's just a bunch of spiders but they try to make it bigger whether it was through angles or just their presence was always in the background like you always thought a spider could be there and they even have like kind of jump scares but not real jump scares like false jump scares i thought this movie was super clever it's a super effective creature feature i love the characters in this i think they're all compelling i also wish that john goodman was in more and his tone is doesn't really fit in the movie so much when I rewatch it as an adult. You know, it's just, like Todd said, it's a little too goofy for what is otherwise kind of a serious movie because a bunch of people die, kids die, like at a football game and shit like that. But overall, I love this movie, man. It's one of my favorite creature features out there because of how effective it is at conveying fear. Yeah, uh, R.I.P. Julian Sands, who plays the spider professor in this who passed away recently i'm gonna have a lot of little gripes and nitpicks and stuff <laughs> so why i i understand why but man i fucking hate the photographer man he's so whiny at the beginning like this is your job man and like do they really need to fly out a professional photographer where some guy could just get a camera and take pictures of dead bugs themselves i mean if it's a scientific expedition they probably want to you know you only get one chance at it so they probably wanted a professional to document uh, the, the whole expedition and things like that. So I think that it is kind of believable that they would hire, you know, a professional photographer to do that. Now he was probably out of his league. Maybe he relied on his resume, you know, who, who knows if he really expected kind of what he was getting into, but 
to me, that was a believable situation. Which brings me to my next gripe. Okay. They go into this forest and they gas this tree that has no issues killing insects, like pretty much instantly. But the humans are walking around them without gas masks on. I thought, all right, let's fucking contaminate ourselves. But then the hip, hip, the hypocrite of the doctor, because he complains that the fucking photographer, he says, oh, all you can do is step on the creature. You didn't have any problem killing a thousand fucking bugs with your gas, but he can't step on one spider? Fucking hypocrite. You can't preserve a squished spider. He could he's preserve. got a thousand <laughs> in the bucket. Yeah, I know, but he wants he's discovering new species by this, you know, miraculous kind of place that they found, right? That's in the perfect ecosystem because it's a crater that has a tree in it and it kind of created its own ecosystem that wasn't able that humans weren't able to infiltrate because it was in the crater and the spiders couldn't get out and the butterflies couldn't get out. It was just like the perfect situation. So, so. let's kill every creature in this fucking crater. Yeah, basically. <laughs> in the name of science. So we could study it for science. <laughs> which I got another gripe. So we, we go to the the spider kills the photographer, which is a cool scene, man. I always think about that scene. Like, especially when you're camping, you feel like a little, like, tickle on your leg. It's that fucking spider from arachnophobia. But um, the spider sneaks into the into the the coffin and they get shipped back to the United States and they open up the coffin and like his body's completely drained of fluids because the spider fed on the whole time. But my funniest part in this movie is when they're standing in the house because uh, the doctor moved from big town San Francisco to the small town to take over the, the practice, which the other doctor doesn't want to give up because he's an asshole. But him and the wife are standing in front of <laughs> the window. They're like, look at those stars. Oh, the fakest piece of shit stars of all time. It's like someone in a high school play put some like Christmas lights on there. And then they decided to start banging. And then they had the, the fucking balls to do a transition from the humans having sex to the spiders having sex. And I thought that was the greatest thing ever. That was awesome. Yeah, it's great. Great, great uh, directing there by our boy. Uh, it was a Frank Marshall directed this one, I believe. Yeah, which shout out Congo. Another great one. He directed as well. Yeah, that's something we should cover. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One day. Congo would be fun. Yeah. Also live, real life horror in some ways, right there. But no, that that transition was awesome. It was uh I laughed a lot actually when it happened. So I uh I really enjoyed it. But uh I just man, I love like when we finally get to the I thought the intro was really cool with Julian Sands. And the guy, it's a great little way to show how the spider does make it to this small town. But once we get to the small town, I just love the whole sort of feel of of that town. It kind of gave me like Beetlejuice vibes in some ways, like a really, really small town where everyone kind of knows their name and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and then just meeting Jeff Daniels and his whole family and stuff like you really connect with pretty much everyone in the town, which is very hard to do and actually care about um, these characters when they start getting popped off by the spiders one by one. So I think they do a really great job of uh, building the characters in this film. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just going back to that, like first scene and the transition into, you know, the small town, how fucking terrifying is that goddamn sound that the spiders make when they attack? that like hissing sound when they jump and like attack people. Oh my God. Like to this day, I, I think spiders are actually going to hiss at me, and <laughs> jump on me. It's, it's crazy. Terrifying. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, do you guys have like a fear? I, fear is I mean, when I was a kid, maybe, but like nowadays, I unless it's like something like this, like where they're fucking all like huge and fuzzy and shit. Once they start getting hair, that's when it starts creeping me out a little bit. I I don't. I mean, I don't handle them, and I don't want anything to do with them, and they can like not live anywhere near me. But I'm not like deathly afraid like I am of of sharks because of fucking jaws. So so that's actually one of the big reasons I wanted to do this episode. I, like I've had this penciled in forever is because I'm fascinated by spiders because where I live, the biggest spider is like the size of a quarter and it won't kill you. So the idea that there's always something huge that can fucking kill you in your house pretty much at all times, anywhere from, I guess Boston would be maybe too high, but a little bit lower than Boston. Uh, and down is frightening to me, the idea of that. So I don't know how the fuck, like Todd, especially, you've lived in I think in, you're Texas overplaying and... it a little, Steve. Well, it's, it's true, isn't it? <laughs> you don't, no, you don't, I mean, you don't, that's funny. One of our, our buddies, Asa, he sent me a picture of a fucking tarantula on his window shield or windscreen. I don't know if you guys saw that, but. Yeah, I put it in Discord. Yeah, it's fucking gross, but I don't think you're, worried about the big ones too much is those little bastards like the brown recluse the, brown recluse, yeah. the widow and all that stuff it's gross but you're always in danger of it like that's not something i worry about at home right so i'm not I used guess. to that idea that at any time i'm not safe in my own house from you know something <laughs> that can get me from any angle and you know it could be in my shoe it could be on the ceiling it could get into be in my a baseball glove like, yeah like how do you guys even live? <laughs> I don't. I, don't it, I, I can't comprehend it. <laughs> so, I because of this movie, I do. I do this. I've done this every time I use the restroom since I watched this film, and I always lift up the bottom of the toilet seat just to make sure there's not a fucking spider to bite me in the butt. Because I I've said this story before. I got bit by a spider on the ass when I was ten, and I let it go, and I didn't tell my family. Which, if there's any kids listening, if something hurts or doesn't make sense, tell somebody so we can get taken care of by a doctor. But I let it go, and it ended up festering to the point where it was an open wound on my butt cheek, just oozing black fucking tarry liquid, and I had to go get emergency surgery on it. And I remember the knife cutting it open is fucking yuck so yeah check toilet seats for spiders yeah absolutely but uh, getting back to the movie and that infamous spider sex scene that general is probably like 10 times the size of the fucking queen <laughs> like that must have been a painful night for the queen hot, hot dog down the hallway <laughs> yeah that'd be the opposite right wait yeah you're right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly it's uh yeah so you know my, my respects to the queen for uh oh, taking that fucking dude uh and also a little moment right after this that I thought was the one of the most real moments I've seen in a film in a long time is when the neighbor kid comes over to play with like Jeff Downey's kids and they're like oh yeah just come back by dark which is how we used to live in oh, yeah. the 80s and 90s and he's like he says something to the effect of oh don't worry they're just gonna ch go chase butterflies and as they're running away they're like Let's go blow up a bullfrog. <laughs> yeah, that is the truest thing of my childhood. My parents assuming I'm going to go do some innocent thing when in reality I had like nefarious little fucking you know, ideas of uh, doing something, you know, whatever it is, build a fort in the middle of a drug den or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, we used to dig fucking traps for people like the Viet Cong. <laughs> ankle traps but I, I put in my notes i'm like man just some casual animal cruelty from bunny right. saying yeah. they're gonna go blow up a frog i'm like geez yeah that's what kids do in little towns apparently 
so what do you guys think about kind of the lead up of him learning that it's spiders killing kind of the everyone in the town because we have this kind of dickhole cop who doesn't believe it and you have this dickhole doctor who brings him all the way to this town with the idea that he's retiring and then once his family is all settled and she's like i'm not retiring fuck you <laughs> you know like what do you guys think of that whole plot line I dug it. Yeah, I dug it a lot. Uh, it was really cool, like how they're calling him Doctor Death, you know, in town and stuff like that. Thinking he, you know, he took the woman off the uh, the high blood pressure medicine. His one and only patient, and she ends up dropping dead like a day later. So I thought that was like a really fun little side plot there, where the whole town is kind of. But I feel like they should have turned on him a little more. Like I feel like they were still like not compl- not everyone was completely convinced. I feel like they should have been like not selling them gro- the whole family like groceries at the grocery store type deal and like people completely like ostracizing the family. I think they really could have dived into that even more. But uh, I thought it was still like a really fun sort of uh, plot device until the whole town kind of figures out while well, these fucking spiders are wreaking havoc. Yeah, that guy's an ultimate dick move, man. Not not retiring. But um, shout out to the football coach who gives Jeff Daniels some work. And <laughs> he goes to high school and gives a hernia exam to every young male there. And doesn't change his gloves from nutsack to nutsack, which I thought was fucking disgusting. Yeah, that'd definitely be a toss, right? Because he doesn't change his glove from nutsack <laughs> to nutsack. Is that a thing they really do? I, I've played sports my whole I've never childhood. had that done. I've never no. had that done once, personally. Really? But... I've had it a couple times. No. Yeah. Like, at a, like, I get it at the, at the doctor's, but at, like, school, by your coach? No. Or, you know? when, whenever we had so... physical for sports, it was just at your own doctor. Yeah, I remember like once in gym, like we all had to be in our underwear and like fucking it was like a uh, scoliosis, scoliosis. Yeah, yeah we had to like yeah. bend over and shit like that. It's that was so embarrassing. Weird when you think about it now, but like yeah, it's like all the like, boys just in a fucking line in their underwear, just fucking all right, bend over, and the fucking teachers like looking at you, fucking he's just looking at your ass essentially. Like yeah, like <laughs> why did we have to get everything off you just look at your spine uh, like, what? I mean, fucking yeah. weirdos. i'm glad it just wasn't me that experience <laughs> no. that, that reminds me of like i don't want to get too off subject but in grade seven my creepy old gym teacher who we all thought was cool in grade seven used to like egg us on to pants people like in class like some big joke but man like thinking about that as an adult is like holy shit <laughs> disgusting yeah well, we won't go too much through that yeah go uh, pants steve yeah yeah go there, pants on. yeah yeah you do it oh yeah anyway i don't want to talk about it. but um something that happens in this movie and i'm curious what you guys think is so they exhume the bodies to kind of support their medical theory that the spiders are killing people do you think exhuming bodies is disrespectful or a required kind of thing if you're gonna try to save other people i think you got to do it you know especially when they exhume people that are potential murder victims and they might have had a poison or or it was a bad medical examinator things like that i think it works yeah for sure and i love how local like small town undertakers are always eating when there's bodies around it's Every like time. a big movie thing like yeah. return of living dead Every every fucking yeah. like movie, they're they're like just casually having a pizza. Sometimes they'll put the box right on the body as they examine the wound. You know, it's like the weirdest thing ever. It's like a one of those, I guess, nineties tropes, especially. Yeah, yeah and then we oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, at the sleepover, why the fuck does a doll open its eyes? 
I don't remember that. Joe, do you remember that? Yeah, the spider crawls into it, and it's supposed to be like this, like oh. the spider, like inside of the doll, and that's oh, why okay. her eyes kind of open. Yeah. I miss that. Uh, I thought they mm-hmm. had a little Easter egg of the haunted doll. No, 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 that would have been <laughs> just to make for a creepy scene. But yeah, like I don't know. Like, do you like how do like John Goodman's character? I want to, I guess, delve a little deeper into his character because. Like Steve said, it is like a the whole movie is like very serious tone for the most part with the occasional joke. But then John Goodman shows up and he is like a completely different level of sort of slapstick in this compared to like everyone else. I personally liked it and it didn't take me out of the movie, but I could totally see why people would kind of hate like his character introduced. If that had been pretty much anyone but john goodman that's a good point i would have hated that fucking character i would have thought it it was like the wrong character for this movie but because i love john goodman so much i think i let it pass it's like a he got a free slide on this one i think that's how i feel because the character itself is kind of dumb like it's it's a little too over the top it's too tongue-in-cheek it's too like goofy uh it's really only because i like john goodman i think that i give it a pass was this like peak Goodman time or was this right before Roseanne really took off? This is bef- right before Roseanne because this right is 1990. Okay. So, or maybe like season one. Season one. Yeah, Roseanne. You know, like, okay. yeah. Yeah. I give them a pass too, but I, I still think it's the wrong character and the wrong tone for this film. I also, what I hate most about it though is his theme song that comes in. It reminds me a lot of um, Last House on the Left when you have the police officers and they're like the bumbling idiots and they have their own stupid honky pokey theme song um but i do like his delivery of his lines like he'll be talking like hey what are you doing there's no spider here (laughs) he just leaves it's pretty cool but he's the worst fucking exterminator he like cleared termite evidence and he's like there's no termites here like what are you talking about man yeah he just looked one quick look and he's he determined the cause of the whole fucking house you know but he does say after like i'll 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 sweep it anyway right so at least he does eventually do the work you just don't see it but he is very quick to dismiss a lot of stuff in this movie. How, how do we feel about the shower scene? Uh, I was, I, that was my next note oh. because how <laughs> unnecessary was it? Great. To have this, yes. Her, her dad <laughs> and brother walk in and see yes. her topless, like totally useless. Yes. Well, I was thinking just about the spider walking between was, her breasts. Yeah, she's walking between <laughs> her boobs. Yeah, I was, I was watching. I was watching that with. Uh, one of my friends and he was like, oh, this is the best part of the whole movie so far. I was like, eh, you know, you get a little cleavage, you can't nothing wrong with that. For, is this PG thirteen? I assume that's why we didn't get the full fledged yeah, bare breasts. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, that yeah, that I mean, that whole shower scene was it was pretty funny, and the dad kind of walking in, maybe not necessary, but and yeah. brother, I'm sure like, it was a, I I guess a laugh back in the early nineties. Now it's, yeah. now it's a little creepy. Se- sexual harassment <laughs> was a lot more funny back in the day. Like, <laughs> Apparently, you watch eighties and you go even like further back like animal house like this is just straight sexual harassment it's not funny but uh yeah i i I like the whole sequence man honestly like it's actually you know breast aside is actually really effective because i you love those scenes where someone has their eyes closed and you know something's happening and they don't it's always pretty good yeah so there are actually a lot of these scenes in this movie uh i was curious which one was your favorite you know there's the popcorn scene there's the cereal scene there's the the toilet scene there's the shower scene so which of these do you think is the most effective who 
I don't know, man. I I really like the end, like battle scene between Jeff Daniels and the and the spider. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the boss, you know, the general or whatever, the queen. And man, it's just like I don't know, like it it doesn't like it's fucking goofy as hell, but it doesn't come off as goofy as you think it would in that in that situation. So I I, I thought that was super fun. But I the popcorn scene is great too because shout out Mimi from uh, Drew Carrymore show, uh, Drew Bar- uh, sorry Drew Carey show also uh, making a sm- slight appearance in there as well. So that was fun. Yeah, I like I think the most effective isn't going to happen. Am I going to get bit? Scene was probably the the mean doctor because he was a prick. And then it goes in his fucking shoe. And she's like, don't forget your shoes. The floor's cold. And then he gets bit and then shows his crusty ass toe. Why, why are, you know, coming back to the corner or whatever, they come in to, like, look at the body and just handle his skin without anything. They don't know what killed him. Could be something, some pathogen they can get on their hands. And they're just fucking around with this toe that's, like, oozing blood and shit. Well, that's like the whole, right? It's like small town, right? They're just like, whatever. Like there's like the dog, like they even say like the doctor, like he pretty much sucks at his job, but like people just kind of like accept it, you know? Also shout out doctor's wife, happy Gilmore's mom, uh, grandma. (laughs) Got a lot of fun cameos in this. (laughs) Yeah. And another real scene, uh, just going back to the small town that made me laugh because so uh, my mom's a nurse. So I, you know, grew up with someone in the medical field and at every party, someone will inadvertently like start talking about some kind of ailment they have. And they do this in this movie where he goes to the barbecue and this guy is like, you know, while I'm here, uh, you want to check out this growth on my like neck? You know, it's, that's so real. Like I, people just have no shame at parties if they know someone's in the medical field. So another real little moment there. Yeah. How do you guys feel about, um, I really like, like Joe mentioned, where they go in the house and like spiders just coming out of like everything, fucking TV windows. Um, also we didn't mention him, Julian Sands' partner that he sends a young college guy to the town. I really liked his character too. I thought he was pretty effective. But they all go to the house and then spiders are coming out of everything and Jeff Tanger falls to the fucking oh, we know that fucking floor is bad because he just said it like 30 minutes earlier. We it's a wonder we haven't fallen through the floor. He falls through the floor into the basement to fight the fucking cellar dweller himself monster spider how you guys feel about that final scene yeah i mean i I touched on it a little bit already but i mean i i loved it like I, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie i just think it's such a great like they don't go too like ridiculous but it really does feel like a final boss battle like in a lot of ways you know it's just like a great back and forth between jeff daniels and a spider which sounds stupid as fuck but it just seems to work uh in this movie for whatever reason um, and yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, but leading up to that is my absolute favorite scene in the movie where like he comes home and all of a sudden you start to see the spiders just crawling from like every orifice of the house. Um, all the sort of little, uh, I guess, soldier spiders coming out. I, it's so fucking good. And, uh, I, I just love it. And you just can feel sort of the threat there that holy shit, if one of these spiders, it only takes one bite. Right. And uh, so I, I fucking love it. Yeah, I love that whole sequence. Uh, I love the whole idea of the general with the soldier spiders and how they kind of attack for him and that whole kind of like the the queen. There won't be soldiers near the queen because she would kill them. It's just they really do a good job of establishing the villains <laughs> in a weird way. You know, like even though they're, you know, they're not talking, they're not doing anything crazy. They're just spiders. Uh, they do a good job of really setting up as something intelligent and that can kill you and i really love that 
I love the whole kind of infiltration scene at the end. It gave me kind of Night of Living Dead vibes, you know, with the zombies just overrunning the the house and eventually getting in. It was the same thing with the spiders. And not only do we get the final boss at the end, but we kind of get a pre-final boss because he fights the queen first and then goes into the general. So first he deals with the queen uh, spider and he gets her electrocuted. And then all of a sudden the big boy comes out and it's a monster of a fucking spider. And I just, it's so effective. And the way that they just shoot it, like to, you know, obviously it's just a spider, but they'll shoot a close up of its eye as if it's watching him and like plotting his death. It's just so, so effective. They did such a great job for what is essentially just a little creature. You know, it's, it's awesome. I love it. You know what I don't like about the ending though is they're fighting and then um the exterminator breaks open the cellar pulls them out and then it basically cuts to them being in like an apartment back in san francisco i'm like you guys you guys gave up like you you defeated the evil spiders and then you went back to fucking frisco i didn't like that transition at all yeah but it, it pays off the uh the chateau right right that they set up the whole movie first he takes out of the box and talks about how expensive it is second he's throwing wine bottles at the spider but he doesn't throw that one bottle because it's worth too much and then at the end he finally gets to drink the wine bottle but an earthquake causes it to spill onto the floor and he doesn't actually end up drinking the bottle so it's just kind of this loose thread you know that they had to fill and i thought it was great just setting that up in a weird way and a piece of tri- interesting trivia for you guys, if you didn't know, the general spider was designed and puppeted by a fresh Jamie Heineman from Mythbusters. This was oh, cool. one of his first films that he did. That's the one with the mustache for those who watch Mythbusters. Cool. Yeah, so uh, I thought that was a cool piece of trivia there. That is, well, that's fun. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and, yeah. And, no, and no moment did it ever look cheap either, you know? It, Agreed, it looked- yeah. Because you could have easily like had a bunch of floppy legs sailing through the air, but they didn't do it. They took the time to make it look pretty cool. A hundred percent. And honestly, like you do something different there, and this movie could have totally changed. You know, the whole tone and thread had it been really terrible looking, like fake spiders. But I believed it for the most part. Like you know, just about every time there's a spider on screen. Uh, I think, I mean, for the most part, they used real spiders, I would think, especially like during like, you know, the the scene where everything's coming out, crawling out of the houses and stuff. So for the most part, they did use real spiders, but even the puppetry stuff, I thought worked. Uh, you know, once in a while, I think you could see that it was a puppet. For the most part, though, I think they did a good job of kind of keeping it out of direct, you know, lens uh, and sort of keeping it, uh, keeping it, uh, the tricks nicely hidden and that's why a remake i think wouldn't work is they're going to rely on fucking cgi in the remake whereas this one had no cgi it was 100 fully just either spider props or real and real spiders kind of mixed in together so you don't know which is which is on screen now some of them are puppeted some of them are just you know they move a little bit some of them are real some of them are not they're just there in the background it's very effective film like they did a great job of doing the whole practical effects on this yeah i'm wondering how many spiders were killed during the making of this because usually (laughs) i mean it's pretty i think it's pretty impossible to say at least i'm sure a couple spiders were killed in the process sadly (laughs) um but but they did go through great lengths to make sure it didn't happen um if you watch the kind behind the scenes for example when john goodman 
crushes the spider. That is a real spider that uh, he's walking over, but they put a big like hole into his boot with padding and made sure that he hit his mark so that the spider would be safely under his foot while he walked over it. And they did like a lot to make sure there were no spiders. Now, yeah, probably uh, some of them got, you know, killed or injured during the filming, but apparently they went to great lengths for that not to happen. It's pretty cool. Bigger, bigger budget than I imagined, especially for this era, 22 million. Steven Spielberg, right? So, uh, no, that's produced. right. Yeah, Spielberg was attached. What uh, did this like do well in theaters? Do you guys know? 50, 53, 53 worldwide. Double. So not, not insanely great, but yeah. double the budget. They probably did a killing on DVD though, because. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say this movie. I feel like this movie really blew up, like at some point. Whereas, like you know, it's like everyone knows arachnophobia, right? You say it, like everyone knows the movie. So I think it's definitely joined the annals of legendary films or cult classics, I guess. Yeah. Maybe yeah, cult classic. I would or say so. Yeah. yeah. All right, you guys ready? Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm gonna be down the middle here between the two of you guys. I'm gonna give it a three and a half out of five. I had a really, uh, really, really fun time watching it. I just feel like there's something missing for it to bring it up to that uh, four star echelon. But still a fun movie. One I would definitely rewatch, and one I would recommend. All right, I'm a slightly lower at a three out of five. I think it's a fun movie. It's got solid performances, but yeah, like Joe, there's something missing that brings it over the edge for me yeah and uh, joe you're right i'm at a four out of five i i mean it's stood the test of time for me i've seen it multiple times and i still enjoyed watching it on this rewatch there's just a, it's just a very effective creature feature in my opinion you know and there, there are a few issues for sure but i think they did an amazing job and i think this is the best spider themed movie that they've ever made that i can think of and there's a lot of them like if you search giant spiders and spider attack movies, there's a fuck ton of them. And I think this is the best one. So that's saying something. What about Cobweb? Well, not really a spider movie, <laughs> I would say, right? It's a, yeah. She's a human spider. Yeah. And unlike fucking Kingdom of the Spiders, where they let all the tarantulas go into the town and it fucked that town for like the next 10 years <laughs> see that's the town you were thinking of see when you think about down here spiders yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right guys that is going to be it for this week's episode we hope you enjoyed our review of arachnophobia next week we head to the theaters for the highly anticipated highly anticipated saw x john kramer's return uh in the meantime though you can keep up with the podcast facebook twitter instagram threads but of course the absolute best way to keep up with the podcast is discord just send us a dm through any of our socials or you can send us an email at any time of course the horror squad podcast at gmail.com and we will get you a link to that discord completely free to join amazing community over there don't forget about our upcoming events starting with on october 7th we are going to be hosting Ari Lehman with our good friends from Silver Moon Comics and Collectibles. Uh, he will be signing at Silver Moon Comics from 12 to 4 on October Saturday, October 7th. Also, his band, First Jason, will be performing at Bit Bar later that night. And then on Sunday, there will be a Q&A with Ari Lehman with a screening of Friday the 13th. And then another event from our friends at Silver Moon Comics on Saturday, October 28th, actor Douglas Tate 
best known for playing Jason Voorhees in Freddy vs. Jason in the final lake sequence. As also, he also played Michael Myers in stunt scenes from Halloween Kills. He will be at Silver Moon Comics 11 a.m. to 2.30 on October 28th. He will also be doing a very special in costume Jason Voorhees photo op that day from 3 to 6 at Silver Moon Comics. And then that night, we will be screening Freddy vs. Jason uh, at 7.30 at Cinema Salem with a Q&A to follow. And of course, the main event, ladies and gentlemen, our big, big event. It's just a bunch of Halloween, October 20th and 21st in Salem, Massachusetts. Come meet the stars of Hocus Pocus, the original. Thor Birch, Omri Katz, Jason Marsden, and Vanessa Shaw. Danny, Max, Allison, and the voice of Binks, of course. Friday, October 20th, there will be a party at BitBar from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. And then on Saturday, October 21st, the whole cast will be signing on the legendary Salem Commons in Salem, Massachusetts. You can head to itsjustabunchofhalloween.com for tickets and all information. And that's about it, but don't forget, we have an interview with the directors of deliver us so don't forget stick around for that interview steve did a wonderful job on it go buy merch too if you'd like we got a whole bunch of stuff you heard the whole spiel that is going to be it for this week's episode ladies and gentlemen stick around for the interview and we'll see you guys next week for saw x bye bye hello everyone and welcome back to the horror squad podcast where tonight we have two very special guests we have the co-director crew Innes. And co-writer and co-writer Leroy Coons. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, man. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, you're here to promote the upcoming film Deliver Us, which is being released on September 29th in theaters, on demand, and digital. Can you tell us a little bit about what Deliver Us is about? So it is a religious horror film about a nun who uh, conceives uh, twin boys. Uh, one is, uh, she believes to be the Messiah and the other the Antichrist. And uh, the Catholic Church sends a team to go investigate, investigate to see whether or not she's telling the truth. And the mayhem, you know, unfolds from there. Oh, yeah. Get ready. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the first things that I really noticed when watching this film is how great the aesthetic and the imagery is in this movie. You did a great job of capturing just how powerful some of these elements were, and you really did a great job of kind of showing it's both realistic, but also kind of dreamlike. So what did you do to capture that amazing aesthetic in this film? Uh, besides relying on Isaac Bauman, uh, to really try to um, uh, tap into... Uh, just uh, the iconography of the Catholic Church uh, and just already like symbols, especially with dreams. Uh, and that's why we uh, use a lot of different mythology to kind of like a very youngian approach to the dreams. There's like this uh, this cultural consciousness that, that everybody has um, to kind of use that dream language um, to then, uh, you know, communicate some of these ideas. I think one um, kind of like you commented, uh, Steve, on like the visual of a film being... You know, there's authenticity to certain things and then it's dreamlike in the other. That was part of the cinematic language that we built. So like um, since we're examining biblical themes, we wanted to have this authenticity throughout the film. Right. And then when it came to, um, you know, love or something that could be 
accentuated by a dreamlike state or even dreams themselves, we we wanted to use a slightly altered cinematic language in order to help tell the story. And so um, I'm really glad you're actually the first person that's brought that up. So that's uh, kudos to you. Oh, it was it was striking at how great they, that was captured. I love religious horror. We talk about it a lot on our podcast. So why tackle a story like this? Is there something about this story that uh, drew you to want to make a film about this Christian story? Well, so when I was at a uh, USC film school, uh, it's actually how I met where I met Isaac. Our favorite our favorite film professor uh, was an ex Jesuit priest. And he said that horror was the only genre where you can make a film where God or divinity is the subject and have mainstream audiences uh, still engage with it. And so I think we were very interested in, in uh, exploring our own Christian, uh, Christian and my Catholic background uh, through the horror genre. Awesome. Another great thing about this movie is the locations. You did a great job of finding locations that fit the story that you were telling. Uh, where was this filmed and where did you find those awesome locations? Well, the movie's shot entirely in Estonia. So um, we knew uh, uh, a producer from there named Elena Litnova, who um, is phenomenal. And during after Leroy sent the script, um, we developed a pitch deck and we sent them to her. And she was on from the get-go, helping us source the best talent the region had to offer. And then ultimately got us access to whatever locations we wanted, you know, um, it was great. Estonia was an amazing place to shoot. When we got there, there was six hours light a day. And then the time we left there, was, it was midsummer, So the sun never went down. So it was like, uh, it was like living a whole, like there was a whole, like, you know, like seasonal change. The, the landscape completely changed. And then obviously we changed because we just made a movie. But um, yeah, it was an amazing place. Great. You also have amazing performances in this movie, you capture pain very well. You capture the feeling of fear. How did you find those great actors? And what, as directors, did you do to kind of get some of those performances out? Uh, so, yeah, we, me and crew talked about uh, how much we like an international cast. Uh, usually people from different countries speak different languages. They just all bring so much uh, variety to, to an, an ensemble. Um, and then uh, me and crew had a lot of talk about Father Fox's arc since he has a pretty uh, intense arc and also to try to get it portrayed uh, as like a, like a lot of the priests or religious leaders that we know a little more um, like soft and uh, gentle and and then kind of uh, be the kind of uh, the backbone for these other characters who are a bit, are a bit more extreme personalities to uh, play off of, especially in such a fantastical world that could easily, you know, go into the camp and then doing everything we could to keep it grounded in reality. What are some of both of your horror influences that helped you kind of, whether it's the aesthetic or the story or helping you with the directing, what other horror films did you pull from as far as influences for this movie? I mean, there's a long list for both of us, but uh, Alien, um, Ridley Scott's first Alien film is my one of my it's my second favorite film i love that movie and as far as like atmospheric tension that's kind of the uh that's the book from which we all can learn right or the film from which we can all learn and that was a big uh big influence on you know just our atmospheric presence throughout the movie you know the tone the tension you know um leroy introduced me to a film actually while he was writing called possession and um 
how he wanted to approach acting with uh, um, Sister Yulia and Father Fox and like how this, uh, you know, like evil can come within, but it just needs a little opening and then where it can go. And I thought that movie really played a big part. And then, you know, there's the shining. We have some homages in there, you know, which you've seen. And I could go on and on, but I'm sure Leroy has a ton of great, great, great references. Oh, yeah. Aside from Alien being great, I think The Thing is probably one of my all-time favorite horror films. The being set in the snow, again, it's beautiful. The use of practical effects. Um, and then the religious horror from Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, The Omen, uh, Ken Russell's The Devils. Um, and then I think a lot for uh, making a horror film is try to watch a lot of horror and why it doesn't work. Because... Uh, that was probably our biggest thing is like, uh, you know, kind of guarding ourselves against that. I'm very like subjected or uh, to what I take in. And so uh, it's hard for me to watch a ton of horror movies and not like be affected. And so every day I'd watch a horror movie and then every day I'd follow it up with two episodes of Dick Van Dyke. Because <laughs> 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 like, oh God, I need something wholesome. Or I'd watch like Family Matters or something like that. Just something mm -hmm. that fake me. Like feel good, right? <laughs> One thing that I'm always interested to ask people like yourselves is: you seem to wear so many hats. Your directors, your writers, your actors. Which process do you per personally prefer most? Is it directing? Is it writing? Is it acting? And why? Uh, I personally, um, I think it's important. Like the way we came up, um, like having a, an idea of every like fash. Uh, every facet of filmmaking, I think it's really important in becoming the best artist you can be. Like, you know, all, every every component's important. So my favorite is like uh, directing. Like, uh, I feel very natural in that state, like having a vision and then collaborating with people in order to have a, um, you know, a, a project or an idea uh, come together is nothing I really get greater joy from. And uh, working with Leroy and Isaac, it's just like, it's just like, the, it's the best gift you can give, like people you love and care about and respect. It doesn't really get any better than that. But I'd say, I would say directing for me. I'd say there's, there's three parts of the process that are, uh, I guess, hard to say, which is better from writing uh, parts of shooting it. And then once the film is like, you're pretty far along in the edit when it's really coming to life. Uh, and then, because then you're gonna you're writing again, and then you're really rewriting the story. But I would say that then everything else is like uh, filmmaking is like it's hard. It's a lot of suffering involved. For those just those few moments of just such highs and exhilarations that kind of push you through and make you want to do it again. There's a there's something really exciting about during production whenever it's like the world doesn't exist. If we don't get this. Like we add, so, I mean, it's a big deal because someone's invested their money in it that they worked very hard for. But it's like, if we don't get this, then we don't have it. We got to live with it for the rest of our lives. So there's like a focus there that, that like you can really harness a lot of great things. And I don't know, like, I don't think anything's better than having an idea and then see it come to fruition, especially like, like, you know, Leroy wrote this thing and then uh, having him be the conduit for which the audience experiences it and you know a friend and someone you care about it's um it's a great joy a lot of joy in it. what's one thing that you would like to tell my audience to like prompt them to watch this movie there's so much religious horror out there 
Now, I'm, of course, going to plug it on my show because I really enjoyed it. But what would be the one thing that you would say as a takeaway, like, this is why you should watch Deliver Us? I would say from the first point that me and crew always said the most important thing is to make the film entertaining. Like, that's it. Like, uh, so that you can check out, like, you can check out. It's not going to be like a drag. But um, is that as uh, we took, we take religion very seriously. Crew's Christian. I'm Catholic. And so um, it's, 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 it's done in a way that's as least campy as possible. And so that we're really trying to exercise some of these uh, uh, religious themes um, through the horror genre, um, you know, as uh, earnestly as possible. Absolutely. I think not shying away from sex and violence uh, in the, in a, like this genre, like most, most films do they get like have like a campy out like they don't want to go there we we lean into it like like there's a reason uh this movie um like the violence is so real it's like we want you to be viscerally affected so you have something to go home and talk about and how these themes can affect your life you know um and then the sex is like sex is a beautiful thing it's part of nature it's part of life and it a lot a lot of times people associate religion and sex as uh you know as uh, um there's a word it escapes me but um like it, it confines it like compartmentalizes it's not good it shuns it and that's not the case so we we're you know we leaned into it censor anything you know it's like if, if you can see you. yeah you didn't censor anything because i don't like you it's like very obvious you're just watching a movie if you're like showing certain things so horrible but then all of a sudden it's like oh you know it's not being shown so it's like it, it's there absolutely Thank you for that. Yeah. And that we're on episode, this this will be episode 297 that we're doing. And I've talked a lot of horror and this movie even surprised me at the, like how far you go into certain themes. I'm like, huh, okay. That's a way to go. Way to go. That's awesome. Nice. Um, that's awesome. But Thank before you. we let you go, can you just let us know, is there anything else that you're working on that you can talk about or that you'd like to promote or any socials that maybe uh, you'd like to promote so people can follow your careers and this film? Yeah, actually, we have a uh, a movie that's coming out next called Devil's Fruit. It's a re- revenge thriller that's shot across twelve years, takes in or filmed across twelve years across sixteen different countries. It's about a a, a blue collar family that's seduced into um, Russian or- organized crime, Ta- and you know, predominantly takes place in Cuba. Leroy wrote and directed, and it's coming together incredibly well and then on the horror side we'll probably be uh making an inuit horror film with through the detective genre in uh like up there in the arctic uh next so that that sounds like quite the challenge but also a great homage to the thing so if you're a fan of that that'll be uh, awesome thank you very much so like you said deliver us september 29th theaters demand digital everyone please go check it out it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you both and uh look forward to the film coming out and hearing what people say about it awesome. Steve, thank you so much thank you, thank you. have a great one
rock and roll. Come on, take that!